Thank you. Beautiful. Beautifully done. Good morning. Welcome to you all as we gather for worship this cold, breezy morning. It was warmer at home. <laughs> yes, we came, we came north, that's it. <laughs> um, I have two additions to our prayer list, Carolyn Reed and Connie Dorman, both of whom request or are requested for them um, prayers of healing. Carolyn Reed and Connie Dorman. I have no announcements for you. Do any of you have announcements for us? Yes. Sign up for what? Chicken barbecue. Okay. Sign up sheets in the narthex. Yes, ma'am. Those things have a way of multiplying. <laughs> they really do. Yeah. Anyone else? Let's begin then with a word of confession and forgiveness. Blessed be God, <clears throat> the one who forms us, Jesus who bears the cross, and the Spirit who makes our joy complete. Amen. Amen. Let us bow before God in humility, confessing our sins. <clears throat> Steadfast and faithful God, you have revealed the way of justice. We fail to follow you. Overwhelmed by the world's violence and suffering. The harm that we have caused, known and unknown, forgive us. For the ways we turn away from you and our neighbor, forgive us. Lead us back to you. <clears throat> Amen. Beloved, in Christ, God's justice stretches beyond all our understanding. God's compassion is beyond compare. In Jesus, God is always making a new way for us. In Christ, you are already and always forgiven. Amen. <clears throat>
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to his people on earth. Let us pray. Beloved God, from you come all things that are good. Lead us by the inspiration of your Spirit to know those things that are right, and by your merciful guidance, help us to do them. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Good morning. The first lesson is from Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice of vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste it shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed righteousness, but heard a cry. Here ends the reading. We will read Psalm 80 responsively. Restore us, O God of hosts. Show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. (laughs) 
You prepared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. You stretched out its tendrils to the sea and its branches to the river. The wild boar of the forest has ravaged it, and the beasts of the field have grazed upon it. The second lesson is from Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes, If anyone else had reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God and Jesus Christ. Here ends the readings. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus said to the people, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower, then leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect the produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them They will respect my son. But the tenants saw the son, and they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, when the owner of that vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, they will put those miserable to those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to another tenant who will give him the produce at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? For this was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who produce the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, 
they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to You may be seated. I'd like to have the children join me over here for a moment. Come on over here. I like sitting here because it's a little higher and it's easier for me to get up and get down. I understand somebody here has a birthday. Who would that be? He's turning three. How old are you going to be? He's having a birthday tomorrow. Okay. Can he talk? Yes. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday. In that gospel reading that, that I just read, <clears throat> Jesus says that he's the cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is? Well, I'm not surprised because it's not such a big deal anymore like it used to be. When I came here this morning, I looked to see if there was a cornerstone. There wasn't a cornerstone, at least not one that I could see. Anybody know? Is there a cornerstone out there somewhere? I don't think so. There is a stone out there that has the date and, and um, I think the name of the church. I just looked at it and don't remember. But this is could be a cornerstone. And really, cornerstones are usually much bigger than this. And Jesus says he's the cornerstone. And that means that stone is important. When you build a building, it's the first stone that you put down, and it has to be just right, or everything else gets messed up. Now today, sometimes when um, churches or buildings are, are built, the cornerstone, not as important as it used to be, um, but sometimes it's hollow and it's filled with things. People put things in them. And Jesus said, he's the cornerstone of our life. He's like the cornerstone is the most important part of a, of, of a building, of a wall. Jesus is the most important part of our life. So when churches are built, sometimes they put things in the cornerstone to remind us of Jesus. So I brought some things here. I, I, was, I was privileged to be part of laying a cornerstone once. And we put things in that cornerstone. What do I have here? A newspaper. A newspaper. You want to hold that newspaper for me? No? Okay, you want to hold the newspaper for me. Sometimes we put a newspaper in there to remind us that today Jesus is with us and in, in the future, when we ever open that up, that Jesus is still with us. In that cornerstone, we put a directory of all the people in the church. And there's their pictures and their names to remind us that we are all part of God's family. But perhaps the most important thing is this. What's this? A book. What kind of book? You want to hold it for me? Mm -hmm. Can anybody tell what kind of book that is? What is it? It's a Bible. The newspaper's important. Um, and the other things of the directory, and sometimes they put a church bulletin in. But the most important thing is the Bible, because that's God's word. And Jesus said that should be the most important thing in our life. Just like the cornerstone is the most important block in a building, the Bible should be the most important book in our life. Let's pray together. Everybody, let's pray. Dear Jesus, be the cornerstone of my life. Amen. Thanks, guys. Can I have my Bible back? Thank you. And my newspaper? All right. Thanks.
Does anybody know, is there anything in that, we'll call it a commemorative stone because it's not a cornerstone. Yes? I don't think so. No? I'm pretty sure I've told you this before because I tell everybody um, every chance I get about the, the hymn that I'm writing. And the title of my hymn, I've been working on it for a long time, don't have it down just right yet, but the title of my hymn is, That's One Thing I Don't Like About Jesus. And this text today, in the parable, when I read it, I think, ooh, that's one thing I don't like about Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, I like that about Jesus. And when Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I like that about Jesus. But when he says, if you have two coats, give one away, and I look in my closet, oh, I wish Jesus never said that. Or when he says, love your enemies, I really? And pray for those who persecute you? Really? That's one thing I don't like about Jesus. But when I recall that Jesus died on the cross for all the things that, that I don't like about him, that's one thing I like about Jesus. Well, this text is one of those. I think, oh, the, the, the pastor at, at Grace, we went to church last night at Grace, and, and she, she began by saying, ouch, this hurts. So let's take a look at this parable. See what it has to say to us. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower, and then leased it to tenants and went to another country. The landowner spared no expense in startup costs. He purchased fertile land. He cultivated the land. He put the very best wine um, vine stock in it. And then the whole thing was fenced in to keep <coughs> wild animals from ruining it and thieves from, from stealing from it. And then built this watchtower that served two purposes at the time. One of them was to watch and guard the vineyard. And the other, it provided, um, it provided housing for some of, or at least one of the tenants and, and family. Everything imaginable is done so that it would ensure a good crop. And then he entrusts the whole shebang everything to the tenants, and he goes away to another country. Now note, it doesn't say he moved into the next neighborhood or to the next town. He left the country, and he trusted his workers so much with everything that he invested in this vineyard. He entrusted them with everything they needed for success. He trusted them so much that he could leave the country knowing that his vineyard was in good hands. Now, when harvest time comes, how long do you think it would be for the first harvest? Anybody want to take a guess? Oh, come on, somebody guess. You can only be wrong. <laughs> what? 
Three to five years, you're right on. We're not talking about wheat that would be done in, I don't know, the end of that growing season. This is five, at least five years. Um, he's absent. He's gone. And the landowner trusted them so much that he could leave the country for what I've read is at least five years until the, the, the vines grew grapes. But his confidence and his trust had been sadly misplaced. He gave them everything they needed to make this endeavor a success. And apparently it was a success <clears throat> because they began to scheme and connive about about how they could keep the vineyard. You see, they had it so long, and they worked so hard, and they never heard anything from the vineyard owner. They just assumed that he wasn't coming back. And the produce and the profit they could keep for themselves. And they waited, like I said, for at least five years. And after not hearing from him, they hoped, apparently, that he had died. Why else would they think if they killed the heir, the vineyard would be theirs? So they're trusting, hoping that the vineyard owner is dead. Do you see the problem here? And can you identify with it in your, your own life? The tenants had used the landowner's land, equipment, capital, and other resources so long that they forgot about the landowner. They forgot to whom the land and everything they had, everything they had, belonged to the landowner. And now they reasoned those things were their own and they could do with them as they pleased. They were wrong. The landowner did return. Jesus bases this parable pretty obviously on, on the first reading today from Isaiah. In Isaiah's Song of the Vineyard, he compares this vineyard to Israel that God gave everything, everything they needed to do his will. And here's the part where, again, I say, ouch. And what's the result? The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant plantings, plantings and he expects justice. But he saw bloodshed. He expected righteousness, but he heard a cry. Isaiah is saying that God gave Israel, the people of God, everything they needed to be successful at doing God's will. They were intended to be a beacon to the world so that people would see them and their great God and be drawn to this God. That's why the temple in Jesus' day was built on Mount Zion. So it was the very top that everybody could see it and would be drawn to it and to get to know, and to worship, and to love that God. They were intended, as Michael said, Micah said, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. But God is sadly mistaken. They made their temple and their religion an exclusive club. Only Jews could belong. As a matter of fact, there was a law that any non-Jew found on the temple compound was to be stoned to death. 
That's how exclusive it became. No evidence that that was ever carried out. But it gives you an idea of what these people who were to be a light to the nations, a magnet to draw God to them, what they had become. Matthew records this parable as a warning to his Christian congregation in the first century and to us. It's been a long time since Jesus left us. And sometimes we tend to forget that. We tend to forget that Jesus will return. We tend to forget that everything we have, everything we have, has come from our God. It's a gift that's graciously given to us. Everything. I have no right to say this is mine. I'm like the tenants in the parable. God has given it to me to use to do God's will. And what is God's will? Well, again, Micah, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with the Lord. But there's also a few chapters later in Matthew, Jesus spells out in no uncertain terms what it means when he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a cup of water. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. That's what good fruit from the Lord's vineyard looks like. Not grapes, but service to the world. And so the parable calls us to be ready for the return by bearing the fruit of service, feeding the hungry, giving a cup of cold water, welcoming the stranger. How well do you welcome strangers who come here who you do not know? Are you all more like a little club that you just get together in your little groups and, and don't even notice that there's a stranger here? We're called to do these things like the tenants in the parable. We've been given everything we need. And Jesus promises to return. And so this parable reminds me, and I hope it reminds you, of how I failed. That's one thing I don't like about Jesus. I wish he had never said this. But it also encourages me to take seriously what I have been given and to use everything, not just 10%. You know, the church has said for years, you should tithe. God wants 10%. No, God does not want 10%. God wants it all. Wants everything you have to be used to his glory and for his service. But this, 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 this parable then also encourages me to vow over and over again, every new day, to say, help me, Lord. Make Jesus the cornerstone of my life. Help me to strive to use what has been given to me so that I might become like Jesus, that he might truly be the cornerstone of my life. And he calls me also to know that when I fail, and I do fail, that I'm forgiven. Empowered to begin again. That's one thing I like about Jesus. Amen.
Together with the whole church, let us confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He suffered. He rose again. Right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Trusting in the transformative power of God's loving spirit, let us pray for the church, the world, and all who are in need. <clears throat> Gracious, loving, and forgiving God, help us and all our sisters and brothers in your church to make Jesus the cornerstone of our church and of our lives. God of grace, we pray for the world that suffers the violence and, and hatred and division, that suffers war and famine and plagues. Be present and show us what we might do to, to, to further care for this world, its people, and the creation. God of grace, we pray for our nation. <coughs> Help us to be what we claim, a Christian nation. Help us to be open to others, Help us to work against injustice and prejudice. God of grace, we are here. We pray for all those in need of your healing hand, especially Carolyn Reed, Connie Dorman, Gemma Halley, and Lindsay. Touch them with your healing hand. We pray for all those on our prayer list. Be a present presence in their lives and show us how we might reflect your care to them. God of grace, <clears throat> we pray for the church council um, here at Good Shepherd and for the call committee as they endeavor to find a, a new shepherd a new pastor. Give them wisdom and courage and, and, and keep them from, from despair. God of mercy, receive our prayer. All these things and whatever else you see that we need, give to us, Lord, not according to our merit, but according to your grace. Gracious God, into your hands we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your unending love and amazing grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you all.
Let us pray together the offertory offering prayer and, and note that it states all things belong to God. Note that it says we bring God's gifts to the table. We don't offer our gifts. These are God's gifts to us. <coughs> and it speaks to how we're to use those gifts that God has given us. Let us pray together. God of power, God of plenty, all things belong to you. We bring your gifts to the table that all might be fed. <coughs> Christ our Savior. Amen. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, Lord. it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. May God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. <coughs>